Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer at HowStuffWorks and I love all things tech. And you are listening to a classic episode of Tech Stuff. This one is about the sad tale of Hitchbot, a robot designed to hitchhike across North America and how it journeyed across Canada and then met a rather untimely end in the United States. Spoiler alert. And this episode features guest host Scott Benjamin, who joins us to talk about Hitchbot and the somewhat tragic comedic tale. I hope you enjoy this classic episode. On July 27th, 2014, a hitchhiker began a historic journey from Halifax, Nova Scotia, to get to Victoria, British Columbia, on the other side of Canada. We're talking crossing the entire width of Canada. And if you were to do that on the most efficient route possible, if you got to choose the route... That would be at minimum around 3,644 miles or 5,864 kilometers. However, hitchhikers rarely have the ability to call exactly what route needs to be taken. They are at the mercy of the drivers that pick them up. Sure. I'm just, I'm headed west. Exactly. Take me as far as you're going. And, uh, not that I condone hitchhiking or anything like that. This is kind of dangerous, right? It can be, and we will definitely get into some danger territory at part of this conversation. Well, the, the full trip took closer to 10,000 kilometers or about 6,200 miles. Wow. Uh, and here's the weird part. The hitchhiker was a robot. Ah, that is weird. Yeah, not a person. Uh, I've never picked up a hitchhiker. In fact, for a long time, I had never even seen one. Uh, saw a lot in Hawaii. Surfer culture is still going strong. Yeah, there's certain parts of the United States that, uh, you can expect to see more hitchhikers than, uh, than other parts. Right. And, uh, and Hawaii, I guess, would be one of those places. I've been there too, and I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I think I've seen more hitchhikers in Hawaii standing at bus stops attempting to hitch a ride, just hoping to catch a ride before that bus shows up. You know, it's like one or the other. Eventually yeah. that bus will come. But if in the meantime, if I can just get a free ride down the road, that's what I'll do. I've just seen lots and lots of surfers trying to trying to get to the beach. Trying to catch that next wave, that's man. That's right, man. You, you can't – the waves wait for no one. <laughs> and so we're talking about Hitchbot, which a lot of you have probably heard about. Hitchbot made the news – first made the news in 2014 during this historic attempt to get a robot to hitchhike across all of Canada. Successful. It was successful. So spoiler alert there. It then went on to – do this again in uh, Germany. It went all over Germany. And it also took a little vacation in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then finally, there was an attempt for this robot to hitchhike its way across the United States, which was cut short, just like the robot. This all sounds so nice. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) So you might be wondering, Ari, I've heard about this. What actually is going on? The first thing I want to say is while we're talking about a hitchhiking robot, honestly, if I were to describe this, I would not have used the word robot. Yeah, it's uh, it's a uh, they're using the term very loosely. I think here. I, I think it's because the form factor makes it look sort of like a robot. Uh, and it definitely had the benefit of having like a light display that, that made a very simple smiley face. So you had kind of a, you know, a head that you could identify. But really, we're really talking about a hitchhiking computer. It's just a hitchhiking computer that was in a more or less static robot body. It's simple, but they found a way to anthropomorphize this thing yeah. to the point where people look at it and said, oh, that's kind of cute. Yeah, because it has a torso. It's got arms and legs. The arms and legs don't move. Uh, the torso is static. Torso's a bucket. Um, literally. <laughs> a bucket, yeah. <clears throat> literally a bucket. It does have uh, solar panels that are... Uh, arranged on the outside of the bucket. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the ways that the uh, robot gets electricity. The other is that it will ask people to plug it into the uh, uh, a, a lighter socket on a in a car. Sure. Yeah, it's only about three feet tall, so it's very small. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's waterproof, which uh, is kind of surprising. It's waterproof, but it no, is. Well, and also, uh, I mean, it, it wears waterproof boots. Uh, <laughs> every single article, every article without fail talks about the fact that it wears wellies. Okay. It's Wellingtons. A br- it's a brand name boot. 
Yeah. Oh, okay, like a like a rubber boot. It's a, but, yeah, named after the Duke of Wellington. Oh, well, its arms are what uh, pool noodles. Yes, exactly. So you know, it's not uh, it's not like they went to uh, to great lengths to try to make this thing look human or anything like that. But it does have arms and legs. It does have a face, as you mentioned. It has yeah. um, a, uh, a it almost looks like a Tupperware container on the top. It looks like a hat. Yep. A beret or something like yeah. that. It, that um, that's designed to con- uh, to actually protect the the electronics, the the tablet computer that is running the software that the robot so used. Likely part of the waterproofing overall, I guess. And, sure. Um, it's GPS equipped. The thing weighs about 25 pounds total, so it's not that heavy, really. Right. has its own built-in seat that, uh, it's like a car seat almost that, well, it is a car seat from a kid's uh, car seat mm-hmm. that you can then put in your car and buckle in so it's secure when it's in there. It's not going to fly around the vehicle loose, uh, you know, if something were to happen. Right, and, and it, its legs are not powered. They are static, so the way that you would set this up when you are done carrying it as far as you want to carry it is the seat also has essentially a lever that can uh, fold down into a tripod-like position. So the two legs act as two of the legs of the tripod. This lever acts as the third. And if you were to pick it up, you could fold that arm back up against the seat. So that would allow you to put it into your vehicle. And secure the the car seat there. And that's if you were in an area that you wanted to set it up on the side of the road that was, uh, you know, like a field or something yeah. where there's nowhere for it to sit, like on a bench or maybe on a wall or something right, like that. Right, right. And, uh, you know, like I said, it was running on a, essentially a tablet PC that if you looked at all the equipment, according to the website, uh, it cost about a thousand dollars, maybe a little less. And that was a calculated decision. They wanted the, they being the team behind this, and I'll talk about them in a second, wanted the robot to be inexpensive enough where it would not be an obvious target for someone to just steal the components out of it. They wanted it to be, uh, uh, accessible. They wanted it to be cute. They wanted it to be something that people would want to interact with and to have enough of an ability to have interactions, including holding a conversation, sort of. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Uh, we're being real generous with the term conversation. Well, that's one thing that you and I talked about off air is that every conversation we've ever seen with this, you know, that uh, between a human and Hitchbot, it was awkward, yeah. to say the least. I mean, it was, uh, it kind of, it kind of picked up on what, what, uh, the, uh, the human was saying, but, not entirely. It didn't quite get the gist of the conversation, and it would respond in an awkward way. Yeah, it had a it had a microphone, so it could pick up on what people were saying, and a speaker, so it could then return and communicate back. And, and a big problem with that was probably the the vast array of dialects that it was dealing with. Right, and just the the fact that our spoken language is incredibly plastic and adaptive, and there are so many different ways to say the same thing that. It can be difficult for, you know, it's like a non-native speaker of any language. You might be taught how to say or ask for something a very specific way. And that specific way is still correct. It's not incorrect, but it's just one way to say that, to express that thought. And in most languages, there are lots of different ways to express the same thought. And you're familiar with one of them. (laughs) So if anyone comes up to you and uses a different one, you could be completely confused, even though you know one way of saying it that you understand. All these other ways don't. Same thing with the computers. If you train a computer using machine learning on what certain phrases mean, that's great. The computer might be able to identify that. But if someone were to ask for the same sort of thing, but word it slightly differently, that could be enough to throw a computer off. Mm-hmm. Because this, this, these are subtle things that we humans can intuitively grasp, but computers lack intuition. And there's not only the word problem, there's also the um, the way that it's said. So the, uh, you know, the, the regions, the zones, like, mm-hmm. you know, here in the South, people talk different than they do in the Pacific or the Pacific Northwest. That's, I hear that. the, that's uh, what I've heard. Or, you know, or the Northeast or, you know, uh, the, the, uh, people the, in the Southwest. Northeast, the Northeast talk faster than I can hear. <laughs> yeah, so it's different. It's different not only, um, you know, just the, the different languages. Like, of course, this thing had to learn German, had to learn, uh, you know, uh, Dutch, I guess. Had to know French to get through all of Canada. Sure, yeah, exactly right. And, uh, of course, English and, you know, and not only that, but the different dialects along the way. Sure. Yeah, so lots of challenges here, but the whole goal was not, the goal really, I don't think, was to have a robot hitchhike from one end of Canada to another. That was sort of the, the face of this project. The actual goal 
was more of an artistic expression as well as an experiment in robot-human interactions. Yeah, because the thing could have been picked up uh, right at the right at the start, right at the very first day, yeah. and driven all the way across by one person, you know, in a, yeah. in a uh, long-haul truck or something. And uh, what would be the adventure in that? What would be the fun? The idea was that this relies on um, human interaction and human kindness to get mm-hmm. this thing from one place to the next, kind of to take care of this thing. And along the way have kind of a checklist of things that they wanted to do. Now, I don't know if the Canadian trip had a checklist. I don't think it did. Yeah. Uh, the USA trip did have a checklist, which was uh, was started. Um, but the Canadian trip, um, you know, just for instance, you know, it took 26 days to get across, um, you know, the entire uh, nation there. But uh, it did things like attend a wedding. Um, it was dancing in Saskatchewan. It, uh, it met some of the Canadians' First Nations people, uh, some of the Aboriginal people mm-hmm. um, that were... Um, uh, native to Canada, and uh, it, it did all kinds of things. I mean, it went to you know parks, it went to scenic locations, um, and all the time it was snapping photographs because yep. it was programmed to take a photo every twenty minutes. Is right. That right, and it could tweet out that information. So its interactions were uh, doubled in that it could interact in person to people who are around it and actually attempt to have a conversation and interject. In fact, I read one report of people who had picked up the robot, and they said, yeah, it was weird. There were three of us in the car plus the robot, and we would, the three of us, be talking, and the robot would interject and interrupt us and often say something that is completely not connected to any of the rest of the conversation. Ah, And I thought... I've ridden in cars with people like that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, just, yeah. just someone just pipes up with a total non sequitur and yeah. you think, are, the, are we in a car with a crazy person? Yeah, like, what's that have to do with the price of eggs in China? Yeah, something along those lines. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, you know, that, that was definitely part of it. I, I think there was certainly an, an element of let's see how humans treat robots and also let's see how we can design a robot that from the get go, is meant to interact with humans because one of the things we're starting to see increasingly in technology is the robotic sphere and the human sphere colliding like they're and and by design we want robots in our lives people have named their roombas for example they have given their roombas uh you know they've they've imprinted upon them this idea of a personality that's a big mistake yeah. When something happens to that Roomba, you know how sad you're going to be? Well, I'd be sad to be out, you know, 250 bucks. Well, that's, okay, that's another thing, too. That's a, There's that side. But, uh, you know, if something happens to Fred. Yeah, don't name your Roomba, right? That's yeah. What, that's, yeah. But that's true. Is a lot of people do name these these robots. People get emotionally invested in these machines. And so there is this growing field of research of human robotic interactions. How can we, one capitalize on this need for humans to have an emotional attachment to these these otherwise emotionless beings, mm-hmm. these beings that lack a consciousness, lack emotions. How can we uh, capitalize on that so that the interactions are, are useful and meaningful in some way, even if it's only meaningful for the human? If it's impossible for it to be meaningful for the robot, that's okay if it's still meaningful for the human. Or how do we design robots that are specifically meant to not evoke that reaction because it would be just, you know, another distraction from whatever the robot is supposed to do. Sure. Or it may be that whatever the robot is supposed to do is inherently dangerous and should not, you know, you don't want to encourage human interaction. If a, if a robot is meant to do something like dig into rubble, uh, you don't want people to, you know, worry about the robot. The whole reason the robot's digging into rubble in the first place is likely to look for survivors in the in the fallout of a building collapse or something. Sure. Or, or well, just to prevent having to have a human do the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and that's really. I mean, the the way that a lot of robotics experts see robots really taking off, at least in the near future is they'll be used to do jobs that are either too dirty, dull, or dangerous for humans. So jobs that are incredibly repetitive and don't require much thought, robots are perfect for that. Also, robots don't sustain, like, repetitive injuries. You know, you do have to continuously maintain them. You can't just expect them to work forever, but they don't get carpal tunnel syndrome, for example. Unless they can fix themselves. 
Right. And we, we will get to that point eventually. And dangerous, obviously, you don't want, you know, you would want to be able to use a robot in a dangerous situation so that you're not putting human life at risk. Yeah. But with the goal of being able to use it again and again and again. Right. So, uh, but those robots probably don't need to have a lot of human interactivity. They're designed to do something that they're replacing a human, not interacting with a human. But at the same time, we are seeing this growing industry of robots that are designed to be around us in our daily lives, either as a telepresence-style robot where the robot is standing in as a surrogate for an actual person, and you might have like an iPad or something like that as a head where someone can Skype in. And this is always creepy whenever I see it done anywhere, but I keep being told it's the way of the future. I have never actually interacted directly with one in an official capacity, but I've seen them at CES. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna make a reference to something that I have nothing. I have no personal interaction with this at all. I I believe my wife was telling me about a movie recently called Her. Yes, and it was a man who fell in love with the operating system. Yes, and uh, and the voice. Yeah, that 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 operating system had now. I can see something like that. And let's say you get a refrigerator, mm-hmm. and refrigerators have screens on them now. Ours does here at How Stuff Works, and, and it's got a screen, but it doesn't talk to us. Yeah. But it does have a screen. You can interact, and there's a lot of different things you can do with that screen. Including putting uh, a wacky background image on it, as someone did when they put in the um, the the symbol for the evil organization from yeah. Lost. Um, I could see if, if it was talking to you every day and it had a, a likable voice, something that you felt comfortable interacting with, mm-hmm. um, that uh, you know, I, I could see somebody saying, well, I'd be sad to get rid of that refrigerator in, yeah. uh, in five years. Well, especially if you would come home after a long day and your refrigerator says, Hi, would you like a frosty adult beverage? I mean, you know, you're going to have a bond with that machine. Immediately. Yeah. So, <laughs> but there, there is this whole discipline that's coming up. Like, how do we, how do we define these interactions? How do we shape them? Uh, and, and a lot of it means you have to do study on both sides. You have to do a study on the robot side, like what works and what doesn't. And you actually have to study human psychology. How do humans respond to robots? And at what point do humans end up treating robots as if they are alive, as if they're living creatures? And for a while, people were thinking, um, well, the robot's going to need to look like something biological already. Like it's going to have to be like a robot dog or a robot, you know, android type person. Yeah, almost like a, like a crash test dummy where it looks like a human, but yeah. Yeah, you can tell it's not a real human. And it turns out that's not necessarily true because, as we've already said, people have been naming their Roombas. People get emotionally invested. It turns out that we are – if it looks animate, if it appears to behave – Based upon its own decisions, whether it's true or not, if it if it looks like it's doing that, we start to kind of in our minds give it these qualities. Scott and I have a lot more to talk about in this classic tech stuff episode. But first, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. So. A lot of this really was studying that, like this idea of the way people and machines are interacting and and how that is becoming defined over time and what we might need to think about in that respect. And also just kind of a, you know, is a happy story about how people find joy in a, a a, a silly, I mean, really, you get down to it. It's a silly robot. Yeah. Not a bad robot. It's a silly robot. And. And the, the experience of discovery and sharing that with other people, that was a big part of this project too. And it was really successful for three out of the four, <laughs> uh, big things that it did. The, the one that wasn't so successful in was the United States. So, um, really quickly before we get into the U.S. stuff, I was going to talk about some of the folks who designed and came up with this idea. Uh, the two leads who first came up with the concept for Hitchbot were David Harris Smith and Frauke Zeller. And I probably am mispronouncing Miss Zeller. I've heard name. it Fraka. Fraka? Yeah, I've heard All it Fraka. Right. Fraka Zeller. Mm-hmm. It's a name that I am, I was not familiar with. Totally new for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're out of uh, Port Credit, Ontario. Yes. And, uh, Smith is assistant professor at McMaster University in the Department of Communication Studies. Zeller is a, an assistant professor in the School of Professional Communication at Ryerson University. Ah, communications professors. Now this makes perfect sense because yes. they're, they're fishing for 
the way people interact with this. They want to find exactly. out exactly how people respond to this, how how um, it responds to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, this interaction is is really, really interesting for these people in particular, I'm sure. Right. And Zeller, she got her PhD. Uh, her thesis was on human-robot interaction. Oh, well, this so, is it then. Yeah. And they were joined by a lot of other people. I've just got a, a couple of names I'll, I'll mention, but the team itself is quite large. You can actually read up on all of them. Uh, on the website, it's funny because the way the website is written, it's written from Hitchbot's perspective. Yeah. So Hitch, it's Hitchbot saying, oh, this is the person who helped me learn how to talk. Yeah, and this, it's very cute. This is the person that takes care of my electronics yes. uh, on a daily basis. And I think there are about 14 or 15 people on that team. It's yeah. A big, it's a big team. It, is, just, a, it is a large team. Not just the two pe- two leads here. So. All right. So you've got people like uh, Colin Gadgich. Or Gadget, who is a developer of Hitchbot, and uh, he's also a McMaster University student. He helped design and test Hitchbot to make sure it would be able to withstand the various environments that it would encounter. Keep in mind, this was summer in Canada, so it wasn't going to have to deal with a Canadian winter. Thank Beautiful. Goodness. Love Canadian summer. Uh, yeah. It's uh, a little bit different from the Atlanta summers. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's slightly <laughs> slightly less warm and humid. About 60 degrees cooler. <laughs> <laughs> Fahrenheit, that is. Um, not Celsius. That would be pretty incredible. Uh, so then you had uh, Davin Bigelow, who was an undergraduate student at McMaster, who worked on the conversational skills of this robot. Uh, Karen Vielberth-Fish, who was another person who worked on Hitchbot's language skills. Uh, Dominic Kalkinen, was undergraduate student at McMaster whose job was to monitor Hitchbot's status and make sure the robot was okay. So, again, the robot was fitted with GPS and 3G capability to essentially report back home saying, here's where I'm at sure. at any given time. And every 20 minutes, he's getting a photograph sent from this robot to him to kind of uh, update the status, where where he is right now. Yeah. And then uh, there was the big brother robot to Hitchbot, uh, Culturebot, uh, K-U-L-T-U-R-Bot. <laughs> Culturebot. Yeah, this was um, this was a, a robot that preceded Hitchbot. This was a, a different human-robot interaction uh, experiment. Sure. Culturebot's job was to attend artistic exhibitions, take images of what was going on, tweet them, and critique them. It was a robotic art critic. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Wait, so it would actually do the, uh, the the critique on the fly there, like right there at the event. That's how it was described, but I didn't read enough into it to find out how this actually worked. Like, huh. I don't know if it was capable of stringing together any words just based upon what it was seeing. I don't know if it had human intervention where the human was the one actually providing the caption. I don't know the answer to that. Fascinating. Um, But I do know that that was essentially another project that was taken, uh, that was, that was being performed by much of the same team and kind of the Hitchbot was kind of the next step, uh, not directly connected. It was just one of those ideas that, that Smith and, and, uh, Zeller came up with that, uh, they thought was a really interesting concept. So after going through Canada, they went to Germany. It had a lot of adventures in Germany, went to castles, went to another wedding. There's a great picture of a, a bride giving uh, Hitchbot a little kiss. Oh, that's just adorable. Yeah, and um, and uh, lots of stories of people. Uh, all of Hitchbot's journeys, by the way, are chronicled on the website. There are blog posts that tell what happened on each day. Some of them also have embedded videos of the stuff that went on and also photographs. Uh, it's very cute. Then uh, after Germany, they it went to the Netherlands for a brief while in the summer, early summer of 2015. Yeah, for a bunch of activities and events that I cannot pronounce. Yes, I'm not even going to attempt. No, a series of festivals with unpronounceable names. And then, at least for the American tongue, and then uh, and then it moved over to the good old U.S. of A. Yeah, started in Boston, right? It was going to go Boston, from Boston. Yeah. Going to go from Boston to San Francisco. Yes. That was the goal. That was the goal, and it also had a a bucket list, which is oh. appropriate since it was a bucket. I have the bucket list in front of me <laughs> right. now. Uh, well, the bucket list uh, has a couple of check marks on it. Now, one check mark was. Um, uh, to do the wave at a sports game anywhere, didn't matter where it was to do that. Uh, the other one was to see the lights in Times Square, of course, New York City. Yes. And there were others, there was other stuff along the way, and I'll just mention a few of these because there's probably, again, 15, 20 different things. I'm here. guessing Grand Canyon has to be on there. Uh, let's see, Grand Canyon, um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll have to check it out. Yes, it is. See the rank, see the jaw-dropping views of the Grand Canyon. That is one. Yes, in Arizona. Um, pose with the Lincoln statue in D.C. was another one. Tan at Myrtle Beach. 
um, experience the magic of Walt Disney World in Florida. So, wow, so it was going to need to actually go south along the eastern seaboard. I mean, for people who are not from the United States and aren't familiar with our geography, if you were going Boston to San Francisco, you would essentially be setting your sights west. Yeah, just do west. Just go. Yeah, just go west and just keep on adjusting your 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 journey in order for you to get to California. Yeah, exactly. But with this list, it means that you would have need you first would need to go south because you would have to go south from Boston to, well to get to New York City, but also to DC and to uh oh, Florida. And then this goes all over the place. I mean, all over the Midwest. So there are things to do in uh, in Illinois like explore the uh the Cloud Gate in Millennium Park. Mm-hmm. Um stand under the Gateway Arch in Missouri. Uh, just all kinds of things like this. And again, it's a, it's a relatively long list and with many different states, many different activities. Mm-hmm. And, um, Hitchbot checked off two items on that list. Yeah. And the reason that only two items were checked off is that Hitchbot met an untimely demise yeah. at the hands of a vandal. Maliciously murdered. Yes, decapitated. Yeah, can we just, can you say murdered when it's a robot? I mean, Not it was, really. uh, I mean, disassembled? Yeah, that's what Johnny Five was scared about. No disassembled Johnny Five. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm guessing disassembled is probably the best way of putting it. At some point, you figure there's gonna be another robot uh, getting a delivery with a cardboard box, and it'll just be, what's in the box? Yeah. What's in the box? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it'll have the binary uh, uh, code for seven as the title of that movie. Oh, very clever. Very <laughs> clever. All right, so this is a weird uh, weird ending. So yeah. um, it is the night prior to this, so it's uh, it's what, the end of July, right? Because yeah. I think this all went down on August 1st is when we heard exactly, about this. Exactly, yeah. So July 31st, mm-hmm. um, I think it was a Saturday night, and uh, Hitchbot was in Philadelphia. Yep, and Seeing hanging a out, brotherly love, hanging out with a uh, a vlogger by the name of Jesse Wellens. Yep, and it is well documented what they did in their evening during their evening because uh, you know Wellens being a YouTube YouTube personality, um, it took him on the town, kind of did a lot of different things with him. There were other people involved. There's another guy um, there with them. His name was uh, Ed Bassmaster, mm-hmm. who was another YouTube personality, yep. and uh, they had kind of a fun evening. Right? Yeah, the whole the whole idea was that this is a. I mean, it was it was elevating Hitch. Bot's profile and elevating the YouTuber's profile. This is this is a dream come true for a YouTube personality because it it gives you the chance to interact with a meme while it's at while it's happening. This right, is, you're not is, capitalizing it on afterward. This is a, this is like a once in a lifetime type deal. It can it can garner you yeah, international attention immediately. Yeah. It really would, because yeah. people were tracking this thing. People were watching exactly where this is, and they knew, you know, when it was, uh, when it was in their city. They knew where it was. They could walk, I mean, if it said, it's been sitting here at this corner of, uh, you know, Main and Elm Street for the last 20 minutes, you could go down to Main and Elm Street and look at this thing, or pick yep. it up and give it a ride yourself if yep. you wanted to. In fact, the early part of the trip, we didn't talk about this, but it, it took a long time for it to leave the Boston area. People yeah. in Boston, we're taking it to uh, different parks and different, uh, you know, they're taking it out on boats and things and taking, yeah. you know, selfies with it. And um, it took, I think it was more than seven days for it to get out of the Boston area. Which I think the team would have found wonderful because it was it, what was happening was the robot was gathering a series of rich experiences and the people were gathering the experience of interacting with the robot, which was the purpose for this thing in the first place. So. Having it take a really long time to get out of any area would not be considered a a an impediment on the behalf of the uh, the people running the project. They, I'm sure, loved it. Oh yeah, in no way is that a failure. That's a, that's a win, as a matter yeah. of fact. Um, yeah. So you know, the, here it is after this fun evening on the 31st, and they place it on a bench, uh, middle of the night. You know, it's late at night, of course, uh, yep. dark. They place it on a park bench, or not a park bench, but a, a bench on the city street there. Yep. And that's it. I mean, you see a cab driver arrive, take, uh, and uh, and that's it. I mean, it's the end of the uh, the, the video interaction with with uh, Hitchbot at that point. Right. And the next day, we wake up to the news that Hitchbot has been murdered. Yes, uh, its head had been removed from its torso and its arms ripped off. Now I got to ask you this: yeah. when you saw the photograph of yeah. Hitchbot, because now this is a dramatic photograph. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it did. It did look a lot like a, a true crime scene photo in that, 
uh, you know, horrific as this may be, I mean, Hitchbot's arms were pulled off yep. and placed above its head, and um, it was laying in a pile of leaves. It's headless at this point. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are real crime scene photos like that. Now, understand now, this that it's... Is start, it was starting to feel like this is this is the robot equivalent of a serial killer, a crime scene. So it was laid out in this, like, like this staged manner. Yeah. And, uh, and very, uh, very showy, I guess. And, yeah. And there were actually websites or, or, you know, blogs that would say, I don't really feel comfortable showing you this image, which is weird. Because right. here, it's just a bucket with a couple of noodle arms and some, some rubber boots. Right. If you saw this same collection of stuff in a, a hardware store, you would just think, oh, somebody just left their random shopping right here. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I never thought of it you that know? way. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, you could gather the stuff up at Walmart. Yeah. And put it on the floor and not think twice about it. But now that we know that this is this, uh, this, this thing that they've created that has right. a name. Uh, now it takes on a different twist, doesn't it? It takes, yeah. it, it takes a different, uh, different feel. Which again, you might say, while, while it brings the, the, that particular part of the experiment to an end, it also says a lot, right? It well, also tells you a lot about robot human interactions and where they can go. It sure does. And you were, th- and you know, right away you would think, well, of course, Wellens and Bassmaster have done this. That's, uh, that's the two people, the two characters that were involved with this last. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, lo and behold, three or day later, two days later, whatever, there comes this, uh, uh, secret surveillance video that was taken at a, from a nearby store that shows what happened. And someone wanders up in a football jersey and just kicks the living heck out of this thing and destroys it. But it's, it's shown just off screen. We don't actually see the person. Uh, kicking and destroying this thing. We see him kicking and this, destroying the area of the bench that, uh, that, that Hitchbot was known to be last. Right. And then later, uh, everyone was reporting that this video was essentially, it itself was staged. Yeah. It's a fake video because you can go to that scene and look exactly where it was taken from the same perspective. There's no camera there. Right. Yeah. So it's a fake. And, and so what's going on here? Cause they never have found the head of Hitchbot. I mean, they right. never found the, uh, the, I guess the CPU, the, uh, the, the, the thing that would the tell them, PC, yeah, yeah, that would tell them what is, what is happening. Like what, what happened to it? Yeah. So the best guess is just that somebody scavenged it. But, you know, in fact, the, the people behind the scenes, the people behind the project have said, we don't, we don't care to identify the person who did it or why they did it. That's not important to I'm, what we were trying to do. You know, with it taking photographs every 20 minutes, I wonder if it captured something and sent it without the, the, the person, you know, the, uh, the perp. Yeah. Knowing what had happened. Right. Or if, uh, or if it just happened to befall within that time frame between when the photos were taken and didn't capture anything. Right. And it's, uh, just like everybody else, they don't know anything. It's possible either way. Uh, the, you know, of course, there was a huge reaction to this. Yeah, both right? ways. Yeah. Yeah, there were people who were saying, this is awful. This is the worst. The, you know, it, it, it really reflects poorly on the United States that a robot that was capable of safely traveling from one coast of Canada to the other and also in Germany and also in the Netherlands gets barely into its journey here in the United States before it's destroyed. Yeah, That's, seven days. Yeah, that that was... A, uh, a telling, um, condemnation, if you will, of the United States in general and Philadelphia in particular. Oh, yeah, you can think of all the different comments that were immediately happening afterwards. A lot of people would say, like, well, this happens to real hitchhikers as well. Right. Uh, it happens to people. Well, and um, then there were a ton of comments that said, well, of course this happened in Philadelphia. Yeah, there's that. And then there's another group of people that would just respond with something like, big deal. It was a bucket of bolts anyway. Yeah. You know, it was a, it was yeah. a machine. Who right. cares? Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's, again, this ties right back into that robotic human interactions. You might think the experiment's over. I would argue that the team probably says, no, it's still going. It doesn't matter if the robot is gone. The continuing conversation around this is still informing us and still giving us a lot more data about how humans view robots, how we can, uh, identify with them. We can imprint an emotional response to them. And in fact, they have tweeted out, you know, continuing to tweet out with the robot saying the robot still loves people, still loved its adventures, which I think needles it even more, right? You've sure. made the robot this innocent creature. It reminds me a lot of when um the various uh, Mars rovers, when they were like the Phoenix lander specifically, when it was nearing the end of its mission, like it had gone well beyond what the mission parameters were. 
And it was to a point where it was no longer going to get enough sunlight to recharge its batteries. And it's essentially the, the social media team at NASA sent out a final tweet from the robot. Keeping in mind, the robot was never tweeting directly. It was always a human being taking data from the robot and then messaging it out. Of course. But people identified with that robot. Ooh. And when that last tweet came out, people cried. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Now, they're, they're watching this thing and they're thinking... They're almost making it into like like it's like you're watching a dog or something like yeah. that. That's that, that's dying. That thing right yeah. there is dying, and I'm watching it happen. Right. And it, they're not understanding that it's like um. Now I know it's way more complex than this, but it's not like, well, it's time to get a new toaster. Right. You know, it's not like a, a machine that you don't really have any kind of uh, personal um, attachment to. Uh, yeah, attachment. Like, uh, like, like if a, my microwave were to malfunction, I'd think, oh, what a pain in the butt. I have to go and get a new one. Yeah, but you're not going to cry. No. but and, and again, that that goes right back into that idea of how do robots and humans interact. And, and we do need to think about this because if we enter into a world where we start treating these relationships as really casual, when stuff happens – and people go through an actual grieving experience, we won't be ready for it. But if we know ahead of time, we can say, all right, you know what? We we know this about ourselves. This is something that is innately human, yeah. at least for many people. You realize you're okay with that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then you then you think, all right, now I can I can design a product and market a product and and do it in a responsible way that doesn't say this is a weird, you know, aberration or anything. No, this is a very human kind of trait that a lot of people have. Sure, whatever elicits that response from the humans, that's what you're looking for. Yeah, and so, or at least that you account for it, even if that's not the purpose of whatever it is you're making, you at least account for the fact that it exists. I got it. We've got a little bit more to chat about when it comes to Hitchbot and to really kind of delve into the psychology behind humans and robot relations And uh, we'll get right to that in just a second. But first, let's take another quick break to thank our sponsor. In the fallout of all of this, we've seen not just the condemnation of an act of violence against what seemed to be an innocent creature that loved adventure and meeting people, or as Smith had called it, a story collecting and story generating machine, like that was its purpose. Mm -hmm. We've also seen people come together to say, we can't let this be the end of the story. Um, We There are a couple different groups in Philadelphia that had said, let us build a robot to continue on in the spirit of Hitchbot because I can't stand for Hitchbot's story to have ended in the city that I call home. Sure, let's uh, let's let's have a chance to make this right. Yeah. And we're going to do it. Yeah. So there are uh the the tech community in Philadelphia has responded with this and actually received some more or less tentative thumbs up from some of the members of the Hitchbot team mm-hmm. to uh give this a a, a go and so there's a group um, at they gathered at the Hactory, the Hactory. Yeah, it's like a factory, but really? a Hactory in West Philadelphia. Hmm. Um, this was this is very recent when this happened. Uh, and they have come up with an idea that they're calling the Philly Love Bot. Which oh, I don't like the sound of that. Yeah, an odd choice for a name. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> but it's in the brotherly love. Okay, I don't want to. I don't want to take this in the wrong direction or anything, but... Uh, We're not talking about a sex bot. Okay, okay. Not I was, a sex bot. I didn't want to just come right out and say it, but no. it seems like I've heard of products like this. Yeah. No, okay. not, not that kind of love bot. Oh, good. Uh, this is more of a love for all mankind and robots what, kind of What kind bot. of podcast have I wandered into? Here? Yeah, no, I'm not going to do another bait and switch on you, Scott. <laughs> I, I already promised you I wasn't going to do Was that that your again. real intent here? No, I'm not doing it this time. <laughs> honest. Okay. Uh, so th- they said that um, the idea they have is they would build a robot that was designed to be passed from one person to another. So it's not designed to hitchhike from one location to another location. There's no location requirement, at least in their initial approach. Mm-hmm. Instead, what they want is to design a robot that when you when you take possession of it, when someone gives it to you, you are tasked with performing a good deed, however you define it. And mm-hmm. it gets documented 
by the robot itself. The robot you take along with you to do whatever this good deed may be. Interesting idea. And then you pass it on. It's like a pay it forward. You pass the robot on to someone else, and it is their duty now to go out and do a good deed. And the idea to kind of atone for the horrible murder of Hitchbot by promoting good deeds, and the robot is the kind of the almost like a totem for yeah. that. I was going to say I like this idea, but you could do the same thing with a with a carved stick. Oh and yeah, you could, you could hand a carved stick to somebody Absolutely. and say, "Now that you are in possession of this stick, it's your duty to do a good deed and pass the stick on to somebody else." It doesn't have to be. Uh, something that collects and gathers the information, but I guess that keeps everybody kind of honest, doesn't it? Well, yeah, and I think also, you know, you, I, I, they also are planning on having the the robot, which I, I am going to guess is going to be another, really another computer and not so much a robot. They're going to have it capable of interacting with you just as the Hitchbot could. So in other words, there will still be that robot-human interaction element that will play a part in this experiment. Mm-hmm. But the... Nature of the the overall experiment, the the perceived purpose will be different. Now, isn't this fun, it's funny? Because I, I wonder what some people are going to consider a good deed too. Because there might be some comical examples of what sure. people consider to be their good deed for humanity. Like one, I, I yeah, I, I imagine we would see everything from someone saying, "All right, I'm going to take this uh, robot with me while me and my company, while we go out and we clean up a neighborhood." Sure, like that could be one, or it could be. I'm going to set this robot here on the corner so it can watch me as I stop traffic so this mama duck and her baby ducks can get across the street. It sure. could be anything. Yeah. You're like, uh, oh, man, you almost spilled your beer, but I, <laughs> I, I I saved you. I'm passing this thing on. And see, that that also, again, because of you look, if you look at it as the as an experiment, that's still meaningful data. Right. That's true. It's it's interesting. You, you know, it, it's kind of like a joke, but it's also. That's humanity, that's, too. That's true, and that's exactly what the initial goal of this whole thing was. I mean, it's yeah. to see what happens. It wasn't the goal of getting this thing across Canada, because right. they could put it in a box and ship it if they wanted sure. to, or just have a trucking company haul it, like we said, you know, one shot all the way straight across. But the idea was to see what happens along the way. It's like the journey is better than the destination. Exactly, yeah, and that it's those experiences that were important. And that documenting culture, and and we're talking about an emerging culture now, not just tradition, not just the embedded culture that's been around for generations. We're talking about an emerging culture of technology and our daily lives intermingling on a level that has been, it's unprecedented. Mm -hmm. We've never seen it like that, and, and it grows every day. So fascinating, really, a fascinating experiment I wouldn't call it a failure at all. I mean, I'm sad that the Hitchbot didn't get further along in its journey so that more people could experience it and that we could have more stories. But it's all right because the story continues. It's just the Hitchbot chapter is over. Sure. So when you look at it that way, it's actually really interesting and inspiring. And, you know, of course, you might say, well, I hope that the next robot meets with more success and doesn't have the same kind of encounter. But if we do see these kind of encounters happen again and again, then we have new questions to ask, like, why is this happening? Uh, you know, what are, what are the motivations behind it? Are there things we need to look at as a, as a society? Not just, not because we want to protect robots, but are there underlying issues that this is just an indicator of it, and maybe there are things we need to fix. Yeah, some real anger, some deep-seated anger against robots. <laughs> or or even just one of those situations where clearly the, the person who was trying to scavenge it wanted to get it for the parts to sell for some reason. Possibly. And then that's, well, if that's in fact the answer, then you're, you, you might say, all right, you know, this is yet another indicator that there are conditions that Maybe we should look at and really talk about. And yes, this is a kind of trivial way of highlighting that. And it's stuff that we already know. But it's another way to say, think about this. I mean, we're really, we're really talking about compassion and on a level that is a very, you know, human trait, a very uh, innate trait in us. Maybe we should apply that to our fellow humans too, not just to the robots. Sure. Even, even the, even the humans that cause damage to the robots, we should show compassion to because we don't know the reason behind it. And there may be reasons that we can't even identify with because we're not in that situation. 
And that's all the more reason to show compassion. Yeah, and that's exactly what they're, again, I keep going back to this, but that's exactly what they were looking for yeah. when they started this whole experiment yeah. a couple of years ago. Yeah, so this has really been fascinating, and I, I can't wait to see what the next phase will t- bring yeah. to us. Can I ask you one question sure. before we leave here? And yeah, I think yeah, yeah. We, we had discussed this, but only briefly, and yeah. we didn't really get into much detail, but... Um, had you not known about Hitchbot, right? Had you never heard of this whole thing, exactly, and you, and yeah. you passed it on the uh, on the city street, sure, driving, yep. Would you have stopped to pick it up? None a chance at all that I would stop because, and you made me think about this because I I was coming to it from the perspective of knowing about Hitchbot. If I saw Hitchbot, I'd think, holy crap. There's the hitchhiking robot. We've got to take part in this. This sure. is something special. And I feel the exact same way, but not knowing about Hitchbot. Not knowing about it and seeing a bucket that has electronics attached to it, uh, even with the happy face, maybe particularly with the happy face, I might think, uh-oh, what? this is like a suspicious device of some sort. Yeah, I thought, I, I said it looks a lot, an awful lot like an IED. Yeah, and I thought uh, it's not too far off in the description. I know that they're a little more, uh, um, I guess, uh, camouflaged in the way that they typically do those things. But this just seems to me like uh, not a good idea to pick something up like you know something like this up on the street and you know strap it in the car next to your kids. Yeah, I, not really. But I mean, knowing what it is, yeah, of course you'd want to do that. You'd want to, you know, it'd be a great experience for you and your family, you know, to uh, to do something with this, even if you drive it a mile or five miles or whatever, just. Take a quick photograph with it and say you were part of that journey. That's kind of cool. It's actually kind of interesting to me that Hitchbot spent seven days in Boston because Boston is also where we had the uh, Aqua Teen Hunger Force Moonanite bomb scare. Oh, that's right. It was in 2007 and it was in Boston. I forgot it was in Boston. Yeah. Yeah, that's with the, uh, the neon, or not neon, I'm sorry, LED. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, you, you could tell them what it was. Yeah, but, the, uh, the LED, they, there were these two characters from Aqua Teen Hunger Force, these two Moonanites from the moon. They look like, uh, they look like eight, yeah, eight bit characters from a really crappy video game. That, they're specifically <laughs> made to look like that. Yes. They're two dimensional. They're, they, when they turn sideways, you don't see them anymore because they're gone. And also they're hilarious. They are hilarious. They are incredibly inappropriate, as is everything on Aqua Teen Hunger Force, but they are hilarious. And, um, there was a, 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 a publicity stunt where, uh, these LED signs of the two characters were put up in various locations. And in Boston, it caused a bomb scare. People thought that maybe it was the indication of an explosive device nearby. And uh, so they were dismantled, and it very quickly became kind of a joke slash a discussion about you have to be very careful in the way you present these kind of guerrilla marketing attempts because it in a in a post nine eleven world, they can be misinterpreted. That was post nine eleven and pre marathon bombing too. Yeah, so it was kind of in between, but um, they were on high alert there for a while about so, these signs, and then you know uh, sheepishly, uh, Cartoon Network had to say, "Oh, that was us." Yeah, and uh, here's what happened. But in it, fact, they were a little reluctant to say that was us for well, a while. Yeah, but, but but you know, then again. Bad press is still press. Yeah, that's you know? true. So I'm actually amazed that uh, the that Hitchbot didn't meet with any hitches in Boston. Yeah, based on that. Um, and and as you when you asked that question, and you gave the qualifier. Hey, you've never heard of Hitchbot, and you see this thing on the side of the road. Uh, I definitely would have wondered what the heck it was, and I probably would have thought. I might not want to get too close to that just in case. Yeah, sure. And imagine if you were, uh, you know, somewhere in Canada, you know, where it's, uh, it's wide open, you know, yeah. farmland and, uh, you know, there's, it's, it's a mile between houses. Yeah. And this thing is propped up on its, uh, its, its legs and its tripod seat there. Yeah. Um, out in the middle of nowhere. I don't think I'd stop and pick that I, thing up. I, in that case, I probably would stop only because I would think, who the heck would set up something <laughs> sinister in the middle of nowhere where you are not likely to affect much of anything at all? And I'm, that's how they get you. <laughs> Whereas I would be more concerned about the, the city location where the, the opportunity is higher. I or, see. You know. Yep. Yep. I just see it as like, uh, and that was the last thing that he thought. 
Well, I already told you that I was worried that my obituary from yesterday was going to say choke to death on Twizzlers. <laughs> that's, so It's actually much worse. Yeah. No, especially since I hate Twizzlers. All right. Well, at any rate, this was really a lot of fun to talk about. And it was fun to kind of, you know, think about the, the, the weird adventures, which are all, like I said, documented. You can go to the Hitchbot website and read up on the different days and events and things that it encountered and the people it, it met. Yeah, so many successful journeys and so many yeah. events and things that had happened uh, that happened and and it posted about all that stuff. And yeah. all those interactions are recorded in some way. Which is great. So you can actually go back and relive those journeys. And I do hope that we see some further experiments that that are in the same spirit, whether or not it's another hitchhiking thing or it's like the Philly love bot or something. I, I know, <laughs> I know. it's name. like it's like I'm 10 years old. I can't, <laughs> I can't you can't say that. And I still giggle every time. But, you know, I see what you mean. I, I, I anticipate a bunch of uh, copycat hitch bots sure. popping up. Um, here's another little uh, thing that I, I, I we didn't get to really talk about this, but I think the, the very next thing we're going to see out of this, unfortunately, and this is just my gut feeling. You said somebody probably scrapped the uh, the head, you yeah. know, the, uh, the the control unit. I have a feeling we're going to see a photograph of that show up somewhere. That's going to be sent to the the creators of, the, of a Hitchbot, which to the creators probably would just be yet another data point. Uh probably yeah. But um, I I see it as going like the way a real crime against a human would have gone. Yeah. Um, you know, and the, the, there'll be a next a, a, a kind of a, a taunting note sent to them as well, which. You know, I hope I'm wrong. That if that does happen, though, it it is interesting because it suggests that whoever does it obviously would think of it as, uh, or at least I would guess this is armchair psychology. But I would imagine that they would think of it as like a joke that you know I'm treating this as if it were a real person. Meanwhile, there are other people who think that's sick because they do think of Hitchbot as at least some, well, in some way, similar to a person. And this is, again, just part of the fascinating so discussion. That, so that we're clear here, I read a lot of true crime. So it's not that I'm just <laughs> thinking about this all the time. I mean, I'm just saying around the one-year anniversary, just pay attention to what's right. going on in the news. It might happen, might not happen. I don't have any inside info or anything like that. Yeah, but it could just as easily be that someone saw it and thought, oh, I want a tablet PC. Could be, and it could it could have ended up in a dumpster half a block away. Yeah. You yeah. Know, it's, it's hard to say. Mm-hmm. But uh, this was a lot of fun, Scott. Thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you again. I appreciate it. And uh, likewise, I had a good time doing it. Fantastic. If you guys want to listen to more amazing content that Scott and Ben generate, all the time. You gotta check out car stuff. It's a great show. Oh, shucks. It's, it's tons of fun. I've, I've had so much fun listening to those episodes. Uh, I thought you were gonna say those clowns. Right there. You said, I've had so much fun listening to, and there's a little pause, and I thought you were gonna clowns. say those clowns. Well, that's true outside of the room. Right? <laughs> right, like in the studio, or in the office, rather. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah, so, guys, if you have any suggestions for future topics, or you have, you know, your own perspective on Hitchbot and what that experiment was all about, let me know. Send me an email. The address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. Or you can drop me a line on Facebook or Twitter. The handle of both of those is techstuffhsw. And I'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 